All right. Well, praise God. So everyone is is aware, is clearly aware that I'm not the pastor of the church. Praise God. But we do have some awesome pastors, don't we? <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. And we have an awesome family. I thought Brother TJ's message last uh, Sunday morning, the uh, things that he shared about our, our body and who we are and about faithfulness to the body were, were awesome. Amen. That's the heart that we should, that we should all have toward this body. You see, we shouldn't be, and, and look, this is not against, I, I love our pastors. I, I, they are, I, I love them. They couldn't be more loved in my heart than if they were my natural mother and father. You know, and, and so love them tremendously. Love their personalities. Love the way they minister the, the Word of God and flow with the Spirit of God. But you know, we're not called to follow a man. Right? They want us. I can tell you what they want. They want us to grasp the vision of this church. Right? That's what they want us to grasp. Not their personalities. Not them as people. Right. And that's, that's a lot of what T, you know, TJ blended that in with what he was saying last week. Because, because they, you know, they, pastor got the vision, right? But it was God's vision. The Holy Spirit gave that to him. He didn't make that up. He had no idea what was happening when he was stopped at that stoplight. You know, and the Holy Spirit began, he had the vision, he began to see it. But God clearly gave him a mission and a vision for this body, for what he was to do. So we need to be, we need to link ourselves and tie ourselves, right, to that vision, to that mission. Well, when we do that, we're going to be linked to them. Because unlike you know, many ministers who are nothing more than hirelings, right? It's a job. You know, if you haven't, if you haven't been around our pastors enough, you haven't heard them enough, you, you need to double up on your listening. Okay. Because this, the vision and the mission of this church, it is their life. It is who they are. Everything they do, everything they're about, every thought they have, every message that they minister is about pouring that vision out into us so that we have, we grasp it, we have the revelation of it, and we run with it. That's the intention. And, you know, that's a lot of what makes us different. We talk about why we're different as a body. That's why we're different. That's what we've got to be tied to. Because if we're tied to that, then we're going to be tied. That The other thing that does is that ties us to one another. Because to, to TJ's point last week, to what Paul said in Corinthians, you can't um, accomplish, no one individual can accomplish the vision. It's greater than, than any one person. It's collectively as a body that we do this and love one another and care for one another. Amen? So praise God. All that's free. None of that's in the notes. All right. Okay. So let's talk about what's the Holy Spirit laid on my heart to talk about this morning. As pastor has ministered, you know, this in the last, I guess, 12 months, he's been on the the path that he's been on about uh, righteousness 
and uh, who we are and kicking over to sacred cows and driving out the religion. And, and as I've been, you know, as I've studied or whatever, uh, I, I, have, I have gone through looking for different, you know, different things in my belief system saying, you know, am I, you know, I, I think this is contrary to what the Holy Ghost is, is ministering. And, you, you know, you got to chase some of the, you got to decide you're going to chase these things out or you're going to hang on to them. Right. So as I was doing through that, I, going through all that process, you know, I've, I've been reading all of Paul's epistles, you know, just letting the Holy Spirit th- speak to me about different topics, different things. Well, one of the scriptures that really jumped off the pages for me as I was reading and studying is Galatians 5.25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay, there must be a difference, right? I mean, Paul's not confused. There must be a difference in living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What is the difference? Why is there a difference? And how do we, how do we accomplish this? How, how do we achieve this? I want you to understand, this is not about righteousness per se. That's not what I'm talking about. Our, our righteousness is an established fact, right? It's totally established. Who we are, what, what happened to us when we were redeemed, being placed in the body of Christ, being sealed by the Holy Spirit, that's not what we're talking about. You know, if you've read uh, much of um, Kenyon, E.W. Kenyon, if you've read Dr. Kenyon, you know, he talks about the legal side versus the vital side of redemption. So what I would submit to you is that a lot of what pastor has been ministering, most of what he's been ministering down this stream is about the legal side of redemption. He's ministering on the legal side. And what I believe that where the Holy Spirit has, is, is, has got me looking and the trail he's had me on with this verse is talking about the vital side. Okay, the living this out. Okay, an example because of the Constitution of the United States says that if you're born in this country, you are a legal citizen here. So you have all the right, you, so the Bill of Rights belongs to you. Those ten, that, those are the, those personal Bill of Rights, they all belong to you. And then there's a whole stream of, of laws and, and, uh, and things that belong to us below that, right? That, that all kind of go out from those. However, if we don't know what those, what all those other things are, we don't understand what that, the Bill of Rights is, understand each of those 10 amendments, and we never act on them, or do they benefit us? Do they do anything to benefit us? No, no, they don't. A great example would be like the Social Security laws. Everybody here, you draw a paycheck. A lot of you young folks, you get a paycheck. There's a whole bunch of things on there you probably don't understand what they are because they never say what they really are. So you got one thing on there that's called FICA, right? Well, that's Social Security tax. So you pay that every time you get a paycheck. You pay into that under the assumption that when you get to be a certain age, you're going to get to draw out, right? Well, when you get to be a certain age, 62, 65, 67, right? Don't go down to the mailbox and open it up and think there's going to be a check in there. Just because the law says 
when you turn a certain age, you have a right to start drawing on all that you put in and what everybody else put in and what's not in there. But anyway, it says you have a right to get that. They send you a statement, right? You get a, what, a statement every quarter or every six months or every year that says, based on how much money you made and how much you paid in, you get X every month when you start drawing. Well, you know, you go to the mailbox, look, well, there's nothing there. Why? Because you still have to do something. Right? It belongs to you. The law says it's yours. It's all administratively set up. But if you don't go sign up and make some decisions about how you want to receive that, right, how you want it to come, when you want it to start, you never get the benefit of it. It just sits there. Right? So legal versus vital in the Word of God, it's the same thing. Right? Legally... All these things are ours, but vitally walking them out, we got work to do. It's things we have to do. I probably could just stop right now and we could go home. But then be a waste of all this ink. Okay. So so let's progress through and look at some scriptures and see what what do we need to do? How do we need to approach this? I think this is really important because Roy's list of three hundred people, they've never gotten the things we've already said this morning. Right. If you look at Roy's list, they never got the part about the vision and the mission. They never got the part that TJ ministered last week, and they never got the understanding that you you got to do something, or they did realize they had to do something and they weren't willing to do it. Okay, let's set up that Galatians five sixteen through. We'll set that up. Terry went back. This I say: walk in the Spirit. Same word again, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, one thing I found uh, in doing all this studying is you really got to go back and look at the Greek words. You really got to go back and figure out what do all these words mean in the language that Paul wrote them in, not what somebody decided that they meant. And it sheds a whole new light on the the scripture when you take the time to go back and figure out what did this what is really being said here, not just what the English language. And the people that King James hired to write him a Bible that he liked would say. So the word walk in both of these instances is the Greek word stoicheo, S-T-O-I-C-H-E-O, walk. And, and in this instance, in, in 525 and in 516, the emphasis is to walk together in harmony and unity, led by the Holy Spirit. It's about being led by the Spirit. When he says walk in the Spirit, you live in the Spirit. You're a part of the body. You have the Holy Spirit. You got to follow Him. Okay? You got to walk with Him. You got to be in step and in line with Him. That's another example. So Romans 8.1 is another example. Where we know this verse there is, Therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Same connotation Paul's making there. You're in the Spirit. You're in the body. Now you got to walk. Walk it out. Walk with the Spirit. So then there's another word for walk as I went through and just Googled walk or put it in Bible Gateway. The other Greek word is peripateo. Now in this one, W. Vine says, that this signifies the whole round of the activities of the individual life. I'll say that again. 
The Greek word is peripateo, P-E-R-I-P-A-T-E-O. You can look it up in, in vines. It signifies the whole round of the activities of the individual life, whether of the unregenerate or of the believer. It is applied to the observance of religious ordinances as well as to moral conduct. Another place read, this is about your manner of life. This is how you conduct yourself. So Paul, so there's a lot of encouragement here in the scripture. Paul's encouraging, hey, get in line with the Holy Spirit. Walk in line with what the Holy Spirit would have you to be doing as you've been taught. And then there's the manner of life side. So they're very closely linked together. Is But this one is more about your conduct, your behavior, your attitudes. This is about your, your life in one big ball of wax is to walk. Now, here are some examples of peripateo. Romans 6, 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. So our manner of life, we should, it should be in this new life we have, not in the old life, right? In Romans 8, 4, he says, That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh. In other words, our manner of life is not that old man the way we used to live, but it's after the Spirit, right? It's, it's that other walk. It's that stoicheo walk. Romans 13, 13, he says, walk in honesty. Same word, peripateo. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Our whole manner of life should be by faith. Right? Not by what we see around us. Ephesians 2.10, you know, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. Same word. So I'm just want to make sure to establish you see there's plenty, there's plenty for you to go meditate on and study out here. Ephesians 5.8, for you were darkness. Okay. But now are you light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. Now he's talking to the believers. He's talking to the church, not talking to the heathens. Okay, so he's talking to us, telling us, and the word circumspectly means accurately. In other words, walk according to what you've been taught. Walk according to the, to the scripture. So the, the whole thought of these verses being we need to live according to the Scripture. This Our manner of life needs to be wrapped up in this. Now, Paul also rebuked, he, he rebuked a number of the churches in his letters, right? In 1 Corinthians 3, 3, um, he got on them for being carnal. We know that verse, but you, you're, still, you're walking like mere men, okay? In other words, you're behaving. Your behavior is like mere men. You're not mere men. You're in, you have a different citizenship. Going back to living in the spirit, right? Being a part of that realm. Um, but, you know, and then because they weren't behaving according to their citizenship. They weren't taking advantage of their rights and privileges. On the other hand, while he rebuked them, he also encouraged quite a few. In, if in Thessalonians and in Ephesians, there was a lot of encouragement. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 3, he says, finally then, brethren, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. 
For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification, we know that means setting apart, right? That's a process. Sanctification is a process. We didn't get sanctification at the new birth. We got redemption at the new birth. We got reconciled at the new birth. Everything that God has for us was deposited in our spirits at the new verse. There, we were spiritually set apart as his people, but here he's talking about a process whereby we're going from just being a citizen that doesn't know anything about their citizenship in the body of Christ to fully functioning in the good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. That's the difference. So, so we, that's where we have something to do with the, with sanctification. Then 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, 9 through 12, he goes on to say, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In most all of these encouragements around walking, he's, it's, it's love is involved. Brotherly love is about loving one another, right? Because they were in all kinds of strife because they had all these false teachers coming in, saying all these things, trying to divide them. Trying to create division. Isn't that interesting? That this was going on 2,000 years ago. People coming in trying to divide people and set them against one another. And what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, no, you got to walk in love toward one another. Okay? Set yourself apart. There's a manner of life here we need to all be living. Right? There's a walk we should all have. And a part of that is loving one another, respecting one another, and walking this out together is a lot of this encouragement. But he says, um, you're taught by God to love one another. Uh, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Okay, so he's telling them to walk, okay, the manner of life, to increase more and more. And what is he telling them to aspire to? To lead a quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands, that you walk properly toward those who are outside and that you lack nothing. So a part of this walk that we're supposed to be about as believers is minding our own business, living a quiet life, working, right? So that people on the outside see something in us. So obviously we we want them, the spiritual side, right? The love of God that's in us. We want them to see that. We want to be able to share the word with them and talk to them. But Paul's saying, uh, there's another side to this. People are looking at how you conduct yourself every day. People are looking at how you conduct your business, how you treat them as individuals, inside or outside the body. Right? What level of care do you express? And do you run around trying to poke your nose in everybody's business, telling them what they ought to be doing, or are you taking care of your business? Paul's pretty clear about this. And he says, when you do that, you will lack nothing. So the key to eliminating lack in our lives might, might be found in this verse right here. But I'll, I'll leave it to you to meditate on that. All right. In the Ephesians church, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 5, he encouraged them to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness. I think that ties back to what he was telling the Thessalonians. 
with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That again, walking in love. For there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Okay, so right here in this verse, he's acknowledging we're believers. We have the Spirit in us. We're born again. But there's other things, but he's encouraging us to do something else, right? Can't rest on the fact you're in the body of Christ. There's things you've got to walk out and do to fulfill God's will, plan, and purpose. So he's clearly laid out for us doctrine. He's laid out behaviors. He's laid out characteristics. He's laid out conduct. He's laid out spiritual fruit. Right, Paul talks about all those things in his epistles and all things that we're supposed to be walking in, all things that are supposed to be a part of our life, how we conduct ourselves, everything we do. So, so all those belong to us, right? We've got scriptures that say, you know, First Peter, well, we'll get into that a little later. I don't, I don't want to jump forward. But basically, the Bible tells us every one of those things have been deposited into us. All these things are ours. Right. But Paul still says you got to do something to walk out, to walk in them. So the, the, the point of that being, it's not going to happen just because it's being given to us. That's the whole point. It's back to that whole citizenship thing, the whole social security thing. My point is, Peter said we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Paul said in Ephesians that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Yet, you know, if we will take a little stock and look in the mirror real hard at each of ourselves, we'll realize, you know, that all that's not manifesting in my life. Somewhere here, he's telling me that that belongs to me, but somehow we have, I haven't unlocked that, right? Like it's locked up. There's a key. You know, there's a key to unlock that and get it out and bring about the manifestation. So that's what I want us to focus on going forward is how do we reach into all these things? He's told us what we need to be doing. Well, how do we reach in to those blessings, all those things that, have, that are deposited in our spirit, every bit of this? I mean, it says the love of God's, God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Yet Paul's telling everybody, walk in love. There's got to be something that gets you from it's been shed abroad in your heart to doing it, to fulfilling it. So there, there's a number of things. How do we produce that fruit? Well, we know one thing. If we go to Ephesians 4, we know that Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, um, 13 and 15, he, he tells us that we need to grow up, Right? He says that we need to come into the knowledge of the Son of God, into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man, the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into all things, into him who is the head, Christ. So there's a growth process. Again, it gets back to sanctification. It's a growth process that we have to go through. You know, so from that, you know, we, we can ascertain that walking in the Spirit, growing up spiritually, requires us a transformation in our lives. We've got to be transformed. Okay, it's a transformation. So if we go to Romans 12, 2, 
Paul told the believers in Rome, he said, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we know that there's a transformation that has to take place, and we know that renewing our minds is a part of that, renewing our minds with what the will of God is for our lives. So I went in and looked up the word transform. What does that mean? All right, so in this particular verse, the, the, the Greek word in vines is metamorpho. And you know, the word that you learn in school, metamorphosis. Metamorpho is actually, we'll get to that in a second, is actually the root word of all this, uh, Greek word. But uh, here in Romans 12, 2, that word transformed, metamorpho is the word transfigure or metamorpho, however you say that. It is actually the word transfigure. And that means to change into another form. So Paul's telling us in Romans 12, 2, that we need to be transformed or transfigured or changed into a different form. Now, we're already born again, so we can't be talking about our spirits. This is the point here. Romans 12, 2, Paul's not talking about our spirit man. Our spirit man has already been taken care of. He's writing to the body of Christ. So recreation has happened. These are new creatures already spiritually. So he's not talking about our spirit man. He's talking about changing something else into a new form. If you go into transfiguration in vines on 12.2, he says that the phrase, be ye transformed, when you put the verb be and the, the actual definition of that in the Greek together, it means the obligation being to undergo a complete change, which under the power of God will find expression in character and conduct. So undergo a complete change, which under the power of God will find expression in character and conduct. Morphe, which is the root word, lays stress on the inward change. This transformation, this transfiguration is inward and outward. It's how we think and it's how we behave. Schema, which is the root word of the verb be there, lays stress on the outward and it's in a present continuous tense. I'm not trying to do an English lesson, but I just thought this was all very interesting. Indicates a process. So it goes back to what we we're saying about sanctification. It's a process. So if you went to 2 Corinthians 3.18, it describes believers as being transformed into the same image of Christ in all his moral excellencies. The change being affected by the Holy Spirit. So this is where, not in our spirit man, but in our soul, we need to be transformed into the image of Christ. Spirit man's already done, and we're working on it. So we're basically working on the soul. We got to be transformed into what Christ was like in his mind, his will, and his emotions. Because we know that that's what makes up the soul. If you go in here and study out this Greek, that, that's all in there. We're not going to take the time for that. So again, if you look at Ephesians 4, 20 and 23, he talks about um, how we learned Christ, how we've been taught by him, the truth that is in him to put off our old conduct, put off the old former conduct. Our responsibility 
This is not something the Holy Spirit automatically does for us. It's up to us to put off the old man. Now, when we're talking about the old man, we're not talking about the spirit, which grows corrupt, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Again, same, same thing, same process. Philippians 2, 5, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 4, 17, on the other side, he says, don't walk as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. We know vanity, that's got to do with exhorting yourself, right? Thinking of self. So trying to kind of take us to a point here. So the transformation process, we're supposed to take ourselves through a complete change of our character and our conduct, our manner of life, our walk, how we think about everything, how we approach everything, how we treat other people, how we view life is supposed to change. But that doesn't happen at the new birth, at the recreation. It's clear from all these scriptures, all this encouragement Paul's given. I read all that. I know it seems like I went way down into this and went a lot to get that. But I want to make sure you that this is not one verse. This is Paul to every church he's been to, everywhere he's writing a letter saying, you got to change yourself. You've got to go from whatever image you have of yourself and who you are and how you think, you got to transform and how you behave, how you act, how you walk has got to be changed to Christ. That image. In Galatians 4.19, he said, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. He's already calling them his children. They're already in the body, right? Saying, But he's laboring for them until Christ is formed in them. Okay? And that again, that gets to that root word morpho that we were back to, which it says, again, it's a change in character and conduct to respond to the inward spiritual condition so that there may be moral conformity to Christ. Let's stop here and wind back a little bit. We're not talking about righteousness. Okay? We're not talking about working to get something with God. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about transforming ourselves into something that's pleasing to God. God already took care of that. He already did that part. This is now that he's done all that for us, we've got to take what he did. We've got to take the scripture, the word that's been given us, and we've got to transform our, our life, right? Our life on earth into that image that he intends for us. Everything he put in, now we've got to extract it out like downloading a zip file and extracting it and using it, right? It's all putting a zip file. Now, we got to extract it. We got to make it work. Can't do anything with a zip file. You got to unzip it, get the files out, get the information out. Then you can do something with it. Then it works. We've got to do the same thing. So, how do we do it? Let's look at James 1.21 is a good place to start. If you go back to... Um, 12.2, where he talked about Romans 12.2. He said, renew your mind. Then James says to lay apart all this garbage, all this stuff that was your old life, you got to lay all that down, right? 
and receive the engrafted word, which is, he says, able to save your souls. I would submit to you that what James is saying, the same thing Paul is saying. He just took it a step beyond just our minds about renewing the mind. And he said, look, when you receive the word of God, when you put the word of God in you and you put it to work and you allow it to have first place, then it's going to do more than just renew your mind. It's going to save your whole soul. It's going to change your will. It's going to change you emotionally, right? It's going to change your entire life. Walking in the Spirit is deeper than just mind renewal. It goes deeper than that. I think the thing that we have to acknowledge more than anything is renewing our minds is not just the fact that you got Bible scriptures memorized. It's not the fact that you can repeat a confession without looking at it. That that's just words. That's just what that was. Brother Hayden calls that. That's mental assent. That's like that's natural faith. That when we're talking about conforming ourselves into the image of Christ, you start by learning those scriptures. You start by gaining the knowledge right, of what the Word of God says about you, right? Who we are, what we have, what He's doing for us today, right? What pastor says, you got to know who you are in Christ. you got to know what He's done for you. you got to know what He's doing today for you. you got to know who Satan is. you got to understand who, who the Holy Spirit's role. you got to understand all these things. So it's not just memorization of Scripture. It's not being able to talk real fast. This is when it becomes us when it is who we are is when we're going to be walking in the spirit so again it's a transformation you can say it's a transformation of our souls um, our minds our wills and emotions to align with all these spiritual truth who christ is in us who we are in christ it's what it means it's when we get the revelation of what it means to be in the body of christ that's where we should be going I don't want to uh, dive too far down in this, but, but I also looked up the, the term soul. What is it? Because the Holy Spirit said to me six or eight months ago after I'd, I'd read a book, it's, it was for work or whatever, but it had to do with emotional intelligence. And, and it got real technical on what goes on in your head, that stout in your brain, that in the seat of your emotions and how that all operates and everything. And the Holy Spirit just said to me when I was reading that, he said, we haven't spent enough time on understanding the role of our soul. We spent a lot of time on our spirit, our spirit man, building up our spirit man, understanding who we are spiritually. And we understand, you know, the body, the flesh, right? That that's how we contact the, the natural world. But then there's the soul part we don't talk a lot about. Yet, what, what I find when you read through vines, and I'll just read this a little bit. He says, the language of Hebrew 4.12, and I don't have that scripture for her to put up, but you know that's where it says, dividing asunder a spirit, soul, and body. That, that, that scripture there. The language of Hebrew 4.12 suggests the extreme difficulty of distinguishing, distinguishing between the soul and the spirit, alike in their nature and their activities. Generally speaking, the spirit is higher the soul, the lower. The spirit may be recognized as the thing that's bestowed on man by God, right? We are spirit. We're made in the image of God. We are spirit beings. 
We're, we're the same as, as God is. The soul as the resulting of life, con- resulting life constituted in the individual. The body being the material organism animated by soul and spirit, right? In other words, soul and spirit contained in the body. Uh, without the soul and spirit, body's a lump of clay. Okay. Apparently then, the relationships may be summed up as soma the body and pneuma the spirit are easily separated. Obviously, our spirit leaves our body, the body's dead, that's done, it goes to decay. But pneuma and suche, suche being the soul, can only be distinguished. So the spirit and body may be separated, but the spirit and soul can only be distinguished. Okay, well, so what is the person who wrote this commentary, Kramer, what's he saying? The soul and the spirit are in it, are, are linked together, right? They're intersected. You don't pull them apart. When you die, your body stays here, but your soul stays with your spirit, right? So that's this, this key, this walk that Paul is talking about is, is what, what do we do with our soul? Right? How do we take all that stuff that's in, you know, it's like they're together, but over here is the spiritual and all this stuff's being given to us. Over here is still all the natural stuff that was there before we were born again as part of being a human, being in earth. But then there's this intersection where he's talking about bringing those spiritual things into there. Right? And over time, the goal is to bring them together like that. So they're one. That's conformed to the image of Christ. It's when everything that's in our soul, right, our mind, our will, our emotions, when all of that overlaps completely with our soul. And y'all, some of y'all look at me like a dog at a new pan. I get that. Um, and I'm going to throw this out there for you to say, I'm not going to cover much of this. You go, you go figure this one out yourself. We've always said that the heart of man was his spirit. I will submit to you in studying all this out to figure this out, that the heart of man is the soul and the spirit together. They are not separate. They, they are together. All right, and let me give you a couple of quick scriptures. Terry, you can pull up the 1 Thessalonians 2.4. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians. He says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Why would God try our spirits? He wouldn't try our spirits. He knows our spirits in tune with him, right? He, so, so there must be a difference. Point being, and then the other one, 1 Thessalonians 3.13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameless in holiness before God. Okay, he's already talking to believers, and now he's talking about establishing their heart. Well, our spirits are already established, right? Remember, we always, that's a fact. That's over here is a complete fact. So the heart has to be, has to have some kind of different characteristic to it, right? Otherwise, Paul wouldn't make these statements. Paul's not confused. Paul's not confused between what your spirit is and what your heart is or what your soul is. He understands it. He's got it. So I'd submit to you for your study that this heart, this, this spirit and soul combination in this melon is our heart. That is the heart of man. 
And if you'll go through and, and uh, do a word search on heart in the Scripture and start reading, okay, and start reading all those Scriptures, I believe you'll, you'll, see, you'll see what I'm seeing. All right, so all, all that said, let's, let's, pull all this, let's pull all this together. Paul is saying, walk in the Spirit. In other words, transform your heart to be like Christ's heart. Conform yourself into His image. Become a part of that. If we'll do that, then all of these things that God has given to us, that He's placed in our spirits, everything that pertains to life and godliness that's there, when we conform our hearts into that image, when that gets down into our belief system, our core being, and we get basically the revelation, getting to that word. I've tried not to use that word up to this point. When the Word of God, when that heart and soul thing come together and our mind gets renewed and we start getting our heart of our being together, that's revelation knowledge. That's when it's revelation knowledge. That's when it goes to work. That's when you can't be stopped. See, that's when you know it and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the doctor says then it doesn't matter what the accountant says. It doesn't matter what the policeman that called at 2 o'clock in the morning says anymore. When it becomes revelation, then that's when it's more real than the natural. That's when this spiritual, supernatural world that we're supposed to be living in, that's when this happens. That's walking in the Spirit. How do we do, do that? How do we transform? How do we do this? Well, obviously, it's by faith, right? It's got to be faith. Faith is absolutely at the core of being able to make this transformation because we've got to believe the Word and speak the Word. So how do we make it work? Number one, and this gets down to, I've said all this, like you're going to get a big cymbal clang and everybody's going to go, are you kidding me? Two things. We meditate on the Word and we pray in the Holy Spirit. And I think, unfortunately, my personal experience, 35 years in the charismatic movement and in Pentecost and everything, is we kept for a long time. Now, it's changed here. It's changed over time in our body here in, our, in the ministry. And I, I think it's what the pastors have always believed but it's stripping off all this other stuff we've had to strip off is we've kept, we've somehow kept these two things separate. Right? We've somehow kept this renewing your mind by meditating on the scripture and repeating the scripture and having confessions, right? And declaring confession, which is all good. I mean, Philemon's, right, tells us to do that, right? That's all good. But we've kept that over here and we've kept, but we've kept praying in the spirit. We haven't made the connection that to get the revelation of this, you got to do both. We, you've got to do both. And quite honestly, I believe that's the whole reason that the Holy Spirit was put in us. And we were given tongues, right? It, it, we've got the, it says, we've got the, uh, so we know the scriptures. We don't need to go through these. Joshua 1, 8, Proverbs 3, 20 and 22. You know those, Right. But to pray in the in the spirit, Terry put up the John sixteen thirteen. This is why I say this is so important. 
when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will show you things to come. The Holy Spirit is the only revealer of truth. He is the only. If you don't engage him, you can say the scriptures over to yourself. You can read the Bible a thousand times. You can memorize every scripture in there. But until we engage the Holy Spirit, it won't become revelation. It only comes that way. So to get to this transformation, it's meditation and praying in the Spirit. It's asking the Holy Spirit, then humbling ourselves, submitting ourselves to Him as we're reading, as we've read, as we've done this, allowing Him to let that become revelation and work in our lives and walk out in our lives. That's what we have to do. So we are submitting ourselves to meditate on the Word of God, who we are, what we have, what Jesus is doing for us today. We're going to meditate on all those things and then yield ourselves in prayer to the Holy Spirit to allow that transformation to take place. Now, I know that's all of our goal, right? That's what we want in our lives. We want that transformation. And you know what? It, it, so many of us, I'll admit, sometimes it seems like a struggle. You know, and then I get to studying this, going through this, this shouldn't be a struggle that we, I just haven't made the connection that you got to get these. It's fine to pray in the spirit and it's fine to meditate the word, but we got to get them together. You got to, you got to understand this is the process. This is how that, how this works. Amen. All right. And when we do that, then we're going to fully, we're going to fully begin to walk in the spirit and walk out the reality of our redemption. All that belongs to us, revelate that that revelation knowledge. Praise God! All right, I want to give you a, and and let me. I want to give a crude. This is a crude example, and probably half of you in the room, particularly my both my son-in-laws, will tell me this doesn't apply. My this is something Michael and I were were talking about one night. We were talking when you were, and this is very natural, but I think it it might help. It helped me anyway. You know, I'm the master of analogies. I'm always going to give you at least one analogy, or I haven't been up here. All right, so when you were a kid and everybody around you was maybe a little older than you and they all had bicycles and they could ride bicycles. But you, you maybe you weren't quite old enough. Or mom and dad said, well, you're not quite old enough to ride a bicycle. So maybe you had some fears about riding a bicycle. Maybe you weren't sure whether or not you could ride a bicycle. Right. As a child. Right. And then one day you got on a bicycle. And I'm sure if you were like me, you were about scared out of your pants. First time you were on that thing that you were going to wreck it or you're going to do something stupid. Right. Whether you could ride it. But once you got on it and maybe the first few times, you know, mom or daddy are, are beside you or maybe you got train wheels, then you get the training wheels off and you take off on that bicycle at that point, you know, you know that you can ride a bicycle. You know you can ride it. A transformation has, a, has occurred in you. You went from somebody who couldn't ride a bicycle, that didn't know how to ride a bicycle, right? When all the other kids were riding it, 
Something transformed you, and now I can ride a bicycle. I can ride it anywhere I want to go. I can do anything I want to do on it because I know how to ride a bicycle. Now, there's probably some of you in the room here that haven't been on a bicycle in 30 years. But do you know how to ride a bicycle? If you've ever ridden one and you ever can, do you know how to ride it? Can anybody talk you out of that you know how to ride a bicycle? Nobody could ever talk me out of that I know how to ride a bicycle. Right? Regardless of how long it's been since I rode one, I know how it works. You take it down, you get on it, you pedal, you steer, you go. You're riding a bicycle. That's the way revelation knowledge is supposed to be. There's a point where you don't know these things. Right? There's a point you, where you, you don't know certain things about who you are. You don't have the reality of it. You don't have, you're not enjoying it. See, man, once I learned how to ride a bicycle, I went everywhere. I mean, I got up at 8 o'clock in the morning and my parents didn't see me till dinner time. And if it wasn't that I didn't like to eat so much, I might not have come home at dinner time. Right? But, but that wasn't until I knew I could do it. Right? I got that revelation. That's the way the Word's supposed to work. That's the way revelation, that's the way this transformation is supposed to happen in our lives with different things. Once we, once we get it, once it drops in our Spirit and transforms our. We're saying it's dropping in our spirit. That's what we've always said. No, it's already. It's always been in our spirit. It's once when the transformation happens in our soul, right? It's once when our soul becomes our minds, our wills, emotions. We understand this. I'd fight you over trying to tell me I didn't know how to ride a bicycle. See, that's when we get to where I'll fight you over telling me that God puts sickness and disease on people. I'll fight you over you trying to tell me God put something on me to teach me something. Because I've got revelation of that and I will go to the mat on those things. That's where he, that's where Paul, that's what Paul's talking about. That's what he wants us to get with everything, right? That has been given to us in Christ Jesus to fully conform to that image. That whatever it is, if Christ had it, I have it. If Christ did it, I did it. See, I, I believe that Melanie has that revelation about healing in her body. See, it manifested itself, right? That, that was, she was bearing her soul in her testimony the morning that she got up and testified that. There's no question that's real to her. Right? It's not something she hopes is true. She knows it in the core of her being. That's what we're talking about, walking in the Spirit. And that's where God wants us in every area of our lives. So, are we there? I, you know, I am in some places. I'm not in others. I would submit to you that's probably where we're all. We're all at different levels of growth. Right in this transformation, we've called this growing up spiritually, you know. But really, it's all in our spirit. It's this bringing these things. To, it's bringing this together to where it's revelation and real. So let's purpose, right? Let's purpose in our hearts to get there, to walk in the spirit in every area, every arena. That's really the vision. It goes back to the very beginning. 
the message today. That's the vision. God told pastor, I want you to cause my people to rise up and take their rightful place in the body of Christ. See, our rightful place is in this transformation. In transforming ourselves through prayer and meditation to that image of Christ in us. Amen. Has this helped you? Yes. Praise God. Awesome. Now, before Jacob comes, let's talk about giving. Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Have we transformed our thinking into this? Have we, as 6 and 7, has that become a part of us? Has that really become a part of us? Have we transformed ourselves into the image that if we give sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. And if we give abundantly or bountifully, we're going to reap bountifully. Right now. So you got to get this in your heart. This is a heart thing. This is this image thing that we're talking about is right here. Because if you go to verse seven, every man, according as he purpose in his where heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver. If you don't do the purpose in your heart thing and get that, then you're just, the church can use your money. We'll be glad to put your money to work. But the benefit for you, the harvest is back in verse 6, is the revelation of this. When you have the revelation of this and you sow, then the Holy Spirit can do something with it. Go back and read Mark 4. About the sower sowing the Word and the good ground. See, the good ground in the fourth example that bears the 30, 60, 90, that's the individual who has the revelation. That's not the individual that says, well, I'll get up there and give $25 because I don't want Pastor Cheryl to think I'm not want to participate. There's no conformity to the image of Christ in that thought in your mind. There is no conformity to, well, I can't give as much as TJ gives, so I feel bad about that. There is nothing in those scriptures that said anything about you giving as much as TJ gives or as much as the pastors give or as much as Spence and Cheryl give or as much as I give. It doesn't say that. It says sparingly, bountifully. That's different for every person in the room. That is a result of your current circumstance you find yourself in. God doesn't expect you to look to the left or right and decide what you're going to do. He expects you to look into this Word, into those Scriptures, transform the image of Christ in you about what this means for you and what God is do- is trying, is attempting, wants, you to do what he's already made available to you and you act on that. Whether it's $5 or $50,000 doesn't matter if you act on that. Then it's seed and it will produce a harvest. Then it will go to work for you. Now, I would submit to you to check up on yourself. If you've been at whatever level, I'm not going to throw a number out because I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm not casting stones at me. I'm not going to throw a number out. It doesn't matter. I'm going to say is, if you've been at a number and every time there's this opportunity to give, 
right? And, and everybody realizes, right, that there's a special anointing on Pastor Cheryl in this area. This is like the gift of special faith in operation. And in most cases with the gift of special faith in operation, you don't have to do anything, right? We've been taught it just happens. It's the will of God, boom, it's done, like a healing. doesn't matter if the person really had any faith or not. They have some faith or they wouldn't be here. Right? They've heard something like the woman with the issue of blood that got them here. But it's not their active believing that brings that healing about, right? When it's the gift of special faith. It's, it, with, with finances, it's a little different. You, you got to get involved. The Holy Ghost ain't going to jerk the money out of your pocket. And God's already established the principle of sowing and reaping. So it, finances ain't, aren't going to come into any of us if we don't sow. All right? But, nonetheless, the anointing that's on her is like that gift of special faith anointing, right? So when we recognize that and then we get in on that, right, then we've, we have sown, so we've put the principle to work, but then it's like it's got some kind of turbo fertilizer on it. But if you reject it and you sit back there or you're grudgingly, you get nothing. The, the church gets your money and we put it to work, but you get nothing, don't be in that situation. Renew your mind. Get this down. Get this concept related to giving. Get this down. Understand what's going on. This is God trying to get it to us. He's established a system. He's not going to change it. The sowing and reaping principle is not going to change. It's going to work. And the only thing I would submit to you is if you've been at some level of giving for more than a couple of years, right, and you're always in a certain category and you're not growing, then that transformation process is not continuing to take place in your heart when it comes to finances, when it comes to these verses. And what's the result of that? God, God's not going to kick you out. The church is not going. Not, we're not going to not love you as a brother and sister, but you're not going to get the full benefit of walking in the Spirit with respect to sowing and reaping and all the benefits that God's put in place for us. So this is a great place to start that transformation process. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Love you. Thank you for your attention, participation. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of this body, for loving on one another. Amen?